I, I'm not supposed to mention the bumper, but when that guy falls off the wall, doesn't that crack you up? <laughs> I've been there, you've been there, right? Hey, my name's Mark, welcome, glad you're here. Big old welcome to uh, The Blend, all the way down there in Amp, they're meeting in two services now, out in um, Roan County, let's hear it, yep, Roan County, as well as downtown Bearden. We're glad to be a part of a, a church that's worshiping together all across Knoxville today. Good, good to be with you. Let me jump right in and say this. Relationships are kind of uh, difficult sometimes, aren't they? Yes? Yes, they are. In fact, it's kind of confusing sometimes, um, the dance of a relationship. Like, what does a relationship mean to one person? It may not be what it means to another person. I have a new friend of mine. He's a pastor friend, and, uh, and I, at least that's what he calls himself when he texts me. So I gave him my cell number, and he texts me and goes, hey, friend. And, and so we've been getting together or trying to get together for like six, seven times, and every time I try to get together with this guy, he cancels on me. So... I'm sitting there going, it's, it's this awkward thing, like are we friends, are we work buddies? It's okay, we can be work buddies, we can partner on things together, but is there a friendship here, is there not a friendship? And it feels too weird to actually ask the question, so I don't, but it's kinda odd, right? It's just weird dance about the friendship. I need some clarity here, it's just kinda confusing, the dance is odd. And what we're gonna get to today is the dance is a little odd. The, the, the conversation, the relationship sometimes is hard to understand between even us and God. And God gives some great clarity. We're gonna be in Exodus chapter 19, so you can get there and get there ahead of time, but in Exodus chapter 19, we're gonna see that God brings some clarity to this relationship. And I know we're gonna be moving through the rest of the book of Exodus pretty quick over the next few months, but, but today, this weekend, we're gonna spend some time just hunkering down on just a few verses. Last week, we discovered that God can be trusted in everything, everything. Remember, the Israelites were out there in the wilderness. Wilderness can equal chaos, the chaos of life. In the chaos of life, God provided. It can be, he can be trusted for everything. He provided water. He provided manna. He provided quail that they were taken care of. God says he can, be, he can be trusted in everything. God will provide for the needs of his people, which he did for some 40 years out there in the desert as they needed God to lead God and direct them and to provide for them. And then in Exodus 19, where we land this weekend, it's where the Israelites landed at the base of Mount Sinai, where they're going to be. They don't know this at the time, but they're going to be there for close to a year or a year or more. They're going to be at Mount Sinai where God's promised them, I'm going to take you to the land flowing with milk and honey, but we're going to pause along the way. And at the foot of Sinai, a pretty specific and unique thing takes place. God, God actually brings clarity about the relationship. And here is the summation of God's relationship with his people 19, verses three through eight. Faith is built on knowing our purpose is to represent God to the world. Faith is built in knowing our purpose is to represent God to the world, and God's bringing clarity to this. He's rescued his people. He's rescued them. He's saved them from the hands of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. He's now leading them to the land flowing with milk and honey, not because they were particularly a great people. In fact, we know, as we've looked at the, the passages we've been in already, they weren't particularly an obedient people. They were an obstinate people. They were complainers. Last week, the theme that kept emerging from the text is they were grumblers, grumblers, grumblers. They were grumbling. They weren't like a, a particularly fun people, but yet God said to them, I'm, I'm gonna draw you to be, I'm gonna draw you to be my people. And God demonstrates his great love for them and his relationship with them reveals that he, his love extends to the world. It's a full revelation of God's redemption plan that he's unpacking and unveiling right here at the base of Mount Sinai. And he says, before we move forward, I wanna bring some clarity to the relationship. And here's the first thing I believe emerges from the, the text itself. God saves people to represent him. He saves people to represent him. Where do you get that? We're gonna unpack that a little bit. 
The rescuing and saving was certainly a demonstration of God's presence and power among the people, but it was always intended to be a demonstration to the world that God would be seen among his people to the entire world, to the nations that would flow out of the, the people of Israel, that, that God's people would be led to un understand that, that they represent him to the entire world. And so here in chapter 19, verse three, in God's defining the relationship, he clarifies here as they're encamped in Sinai before they move forward. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together. This is a beautiful portion of scripture. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Another wonderful moment for the people of Israel. Let's celebrate them for half a second. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. No sooner had they got to Mount Sinai and Moses heads up the mountain. Remember, this guy's 80 years old. He'd been at that place before. Remember when God appeared to Moses at the burning bush? It was on the same mountain. Moses goes up and down Mount Sinai. I always thought he went up once or twice. It, it's, it's unsure how many times he went up. Maybe six, seven, eight times Moses went up and down the mountain. Pretty impressive for an 80-year-old. Yahweh has instructed Moses to tell the people that it was he who brought them out on eagle's wings. He says, I'm the one who delivered you. I brought you out on eagle's wings. I've carried you out. It, it's me. And therefore, since I did this for you, I'm asking you to obey, to listen and obey my covenant. And though there's more, so much more here than we can possibly cover, we, we, we need to, I need to highlight a couple things. And here's something I'm gonna drill home several times as we spend time in the Word today. You gotta get the order straight here. The order has everything to do. It's very significant in the order that this takes place. The order's significant. God's reminding them that they've been rescued and saved by his mighty hand. Therefore, in response to God's saving, hey folks, what he's saying to them, listen, obey, follow my covenant. Not because you're a good people, they weren't good people. If he's gonna choose anybody, these were an obstinate people. They had a, a stiff neck and a stiff back toward God, but he's saying to them, I've saved you, I've rescued you, I've carried you out on eagle's wings, and I'm asking you now, because of what I've done for you, in response to what I've done, in, in response to my rescuing and saving, now live according to my, my, uh, my covenant. Follow my covenant, obey the covenant. So what covenant is he talking about here? We're getting, we're getting ready to go into a whole bunch of covenants. Tune in next week. But right now, what he's referring to is not the covenant he hasn't given yet, but the covenant he already has. It ties all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant, back in Genesis, where God said, I'm, I'm gonna be for you, a, your God, and you're gonna be my people. I'm gonna promise you that I'm gonna bless you and bless your, your people, and you're gonna be a blessing through all the nations. God, God's calling them back to the Abrahamic covenant. That's what he's calling them to live up and live according to. In Exodus chapter two and chapter six, he, remember he says, I, I've heard the groans, I've heard the crying of my people and I've remembered my covenant with them. They'd been in bondage for so long and God says, I remember my covenant. I remember you, I see you, I see where you are. And I'm gonna rescue you and I'm gonna save you. Genesis chapter 12, verse one through three. Here's the Abrahamic covenant. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the Abrahamic covenant. And it's critical, folks, that, that we get that God is defining the relationship here with his people at the foot of Sinai as he continues to set the stage for the relationship that's paramount through all the scriptures, from Genesis to Exodus, all the way through the Old Testament, into the New Testament, all the way up to Revelation. God's saying, this is, this is a, a paradigm of, of the relationship that I'm creating and I've had with my people and long for my people from the beginning of time, from Genesis 12 all the way through to the New Testament, leading up to and revealed in the person of Jesus. He says in the Abrahamic covenant, you're gonna be a blessing, and, and through you, the, the whole, all the world, the nations will be blessed. It points to the revelation of Christ one day. In Galatians chapter three, we're told this, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to the one. And to your offspring, who is Christ? It's Christ, the revelation of this covenant. This relationship that God establishes with his people has everything to do with God saving us, has everything to do with God rescuing us. It's, it's as personal as it gets. And I hope you're here, and I hope you're here, gathered in our spaces today, and I hope you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior. It's as personal as that. God has rescued and saved you. He's carried you out on eagle's wings. He has done what he's done for you because he loves you, and he's drawn you to himself, not because of anything you've done, but because of who he is. It's as personal as it gets. And yet here's the deal, and I hope this doesn't sound too harsh, it was never all about you. It wasn't just to win you, it wasn't just to get you saved, it wasn't just to get you to be a part of the kingdom of God. It's always been about getting you to be a part of the kingdom of God, so you'd be a part of getting others to be a part of the kingdom of God. That's the, the Abrahamic covenant. He says, I, I wanna bless you, I wanna bless you as a people so that you'd be a blessing to others so that the nations of the world would come to know me and understand who I am because of the way you live and, and the way you represent me to the world. That's always been at the heart of this relationship. And here at Sinai at the base, God through Moses has the DTR talk. Anybody ever had that? Somebody sits you down and go, hey, we're gonna define this relationship. The DTR talk, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna be clear on what this is. And I'm grateful for this. He, he has the DTR talk. God clarifies that he saved people to represent him. He said, that's what, that's what it's all about. Yes, I rescued and saved you, but it's always been a part it's always been about you uh, representing me and, and, and being a part of the rescue mission for the rest of the world. Clarity is everything. Don't we do better under clarity? Clarity is everything. I've spent a lot of time in the last 20, 30 years with people sitting down with them and, hey, let's, let's, let's set up some clarity. Nobody likes to get to the end of a year if you work for somebody and find out you were held responsible for something for 12 months nobody told you about, right? Nobody mentioned it. But there at your performance review, it comes up and you're, it's being held against you. Nobody likes that, right? So it's important for us to have clarity. And I've sat with people and sat down like, hey, what are the goals and objectives? And how do you get from here to there? And how do you, how do you plan out your life? How do you create some metrics that will actually define where you are in the process? And how can you, how can you measure success at the end of like three months or six months or nine months or a year? And, and so clarity is, is, is pretty significant and important. And I do much better with clarity. If you tell me what's expected of me, I think I can do it. I, I most, most of the time, I, I can check those boxes. And yet, to be honest with you, it's easier to have clarity at business than it is in relationships. Yes? It's a lot easier. In fact, I haven't applied the same wisdom to the relationships I have oftentimes. And to be bluntly honest, everybody in my life has disappointed me. <laughs> everybody, there's not a person. And I'm looking at all of you. All of you have disappointed me. <laughs> 
And truth is, I've disappointed all of you. There's not clarity about the relationship. I wish when I'd married Terry in 1989, that instead of sharing vows in the front of the room, which are significantly important, that she had just handed me, hey, here's my uh, Enneagram, here's my Myers-Briggs, here's my, here's my love language, here's a box of cards, here's some check boxes you can give me. If you do these things for me over the next 10, 20, 30 years, I'll know that I'm loved by you. I'd have nailed it. <laughs> I'm a great husband. I'm, I, I'm a good man. I, I like to know what the clarity is. What, what is the clarity? And oftentimes in relationships, we find ourselves confused. And I'm convinced of this. If you disagree, write me this week. We usually tell you not to write. Write me this week if you disagree. I don't think there's one of us who came into a relationship with Jesus who understood the full measure of what we said yes to. I came knowing I was a dirty, rotten little scoundrel and wanted to know Jesus and have my sins forgiven. I didn't get the full picture. I didn't get what Moses is being told to tell the people. I didn't get what we're gonna talk about throughout the New Testament. I didn't get that, yes, it was about rescuing and saving me as a dirty little scoundrel, but it was always about me as a dirty little scoundrel being saved and rescued to be a part of the rescue mission that God has for the world. It's always been about that. The, the clarity here is undeniable. God made an agreement with Israel to represent him to the world. So where are we in this? Where, where are we in this? And the good news for you and I, we're in the picture. We're, we're in the story, but, but much further on in the story, maybe not all the way back at the base of Sinai, but what happens at the base of Sinai happens all throughout the scriptures, and an apostle named Peter in the New Testament wrote, in 2 Peter, he, he wrote some specific things and he uses some of the very same language, bringing clarity to the relationship. He uses the metaphor of a house. He says, hey, you're now a part of a people of God and followers of Jesus. Peter, Peter says, that's who we are now. So we're a spiritual house that represents God. And, and again, let's get the order straight. He's not speaking to people, saying to them, hey, you're such a great group of people. You're so wonderful, you're so obedient to God, you're so holy and precious to him that now he's gonna actually bless you. Get the order straight. This is significant because this is where a lot of us get tripped up and you think, that's too simple, I know that, but you know that, but we're not practicing that. Get the order straight. God saw you in your sin and while you were yet a sinner, while you were yet all caught up in the crud of life, God said, I love these people and I'm gonna die for them. He loved us first and then calls us to live in such a way that reflects who he is in our lives. Just like he said to the people of Israel, listen, obey, obey my covenant. God made an agreement with Israel. Peter calls us to that. And he says to us in 2 Peter, I love this, 1 Peter chapter two actually, 1 Peter chapter two, he gets real specific, he gives some clarity. Here's, here's some boxes to check if you wanna check some boxes. He says, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Let me just stop for a second and tell you, He's not talking to the world. He's talking to you. He's talking to believers, people who've actually trusted Jesus. And he's saying to them, put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Put that stuff away. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. I love this line. There's, there's a mirroring emphasis here from Exodus. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good, I hope that if you're following Jesus, you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Amen? Amen. We've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. He's saying the same thing to the people of Israel. I've carried you on eagle's wings. I've carried you out to bring you to myself. Verse four. And as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Get the metaphor? 
to be what? A holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Drop down to verse nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous, marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, you're in pleading with them. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter's emphasizing in a profound way that, that we're a part of a spiritual house now. He says, you're a part of a spiritual house. Are you getting the tie-in, the metaphor to deconstructing and reconstructing? He says, deconstruct those things that are no longer a part of, 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 of what you should be about, but reconstruct yourselves as, as a holy people. Our faith is being built up as we listen and obey. As we put away the old stuff, he says, put it away. Get rid of it. We put away the old stuff and put on the new stuff. This salvation that we've received, this gospel carries the very same expectation. It's the same DTR talk that God had through Moses with Israel that Peter's having with us, the church believers. It's the same defining the relationship. And the mirroring piece here is beautiful. There, there's a I mean, it's from Exodus all the way to, to 1 Peter. He's using the very same language. Peter's doing this deliberately. In, in Exodus, we were told that we're to be a treasured possession, that we are a treasured possession. We're a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's who the Israelites were told they are. Fast forward, New Testament, Peter, followers of Jesus, those who've experienced the Abrahamic covenant have, have, have known and know Jesus. He's saying to them, hey, folks, this is who you are. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Are you seeing the overlap? He's saying this is who you are. This is how you should see yourselves. Who are we? We're all of these things. We, you, are all of these things. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We belong to him and all these, all these descriptions of who we are, I don't think they're to be looked at separately. I think, they're, I think Peter's piling it on. He's saying, you're a representative of God, and here's what a representative of God looks like. He's piling it on. Like if I was to describe to you right now who my wife is, who Terry is, I'd say to you, hey, she's my best friend. She's a confidant like no other. She's actually the love of my life, and she's the woman in whom I take great delight. All those things are just layered on of, of the reality of the relationship between Terry and I. And, and Peter's saying the same thing. This is who we are as representatives of God. At the, at the heart of this description, the scriptures give us is our purpose and our set-apartness. He goes, this is who you are. If he's telling you who you are, how, how you see yourself in a relationship is gonna determine how you act in that relationship. So he's saying to them, I want you to be clear. You want clarity? Here it is. He goes, this is who you are in a relationship with God. So let me just say to you folks, let me repeat again and again, you are priests, you, you are priests. You represent God. You're, you're a people that are, are significant. And this, this takes on new life and meaning as, as, you, as you grasp the understanding and the context here. A priest is a representative of, of God. And what's clear here is that you, each of you, if I can make eye contact with everybody in this room and the other rooms that are tapping in right now, each of you are priests. And the good news about that, though you are priests, we collectively, together, are 
are priests. We're in the household of faith. We're part of a, a holy priesthood. We're part of a holy priesthood representing God. Priests in the Old Testament represented God to the people and the people to God. The role and office of the priest was incredibly vital as God sought to remain connected with his people. So he's, he's drilling home the reality that, that, that we are a holy royal priesthood. We represent God. We represent God to the world. In Hebrews, he drills down even further. Hebrews chapter five, verses five and six. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I've, I've begotten you. And as he says also in another place, you are the priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. What he's saying is Jesus is the high priest. He's the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. Jesus is our great high priest and is now interceding on our behalf. And because Jesus left this space and is now physically present next to the Father, interceding on our behalf, what he's calling us to now is this royal priesthood. Now we represent, as, God, as Jesus represented God to the world, we now represent God to the world. We can intercede for other people. He says you're a holy priesthood. Folks, this is who you are. We've been drafted into the priesthood of all believers, and we now, with the Spirit of Christ residing in us, are his priests, his representatives to the world. I hope I can drill this home as hard as I can with you, that you would see yourself this way, that we would see ourselves this way, because the scriptures say this is who you are. This is who we know we are. Faith is built on knowing our purpose is to represent God to the world. So let me say this. You are never not a priest. You're never not a priest. You're never not a priest. You can't like, hey, put on the priestly robes, take them off. Well, I'm a priest at church, or I'm a priest here. I'm no, you're never not a priest. He says, this is who we are. This is who we are, and this is our identity in Christ now. We are now priests. We represent Jesus. I, I, I remembered and learned this fact even more clearly. It was a few weeks ago. I preached on a Sunday morning, and I went home, and I took that big fat nap after a lunch, right? You know that kind of nap that leaves a crease in your face? It takes hours to come off. And uh, I threw on my most comfortable old bathing suit and I had a ripped shirt on, had my most comfy house Birkenstocks. They got no tread left on the bottom of them. And I thought, I need to, I need to run to Home Depot. It wasn't something I got to do this week. I, I need to run for a quick errand. So I head out to Home Depot and um, true confession, I'm standing there looking at this 12-foot skeleton trying to talk myself out of buying it from my backyard. And this man walks up to me and goes, hey, Mark. I'm like hey, and I couldn't remember where I knew him from, and he started talking about the message that morning, so I put two and two together, I'm a smart guy. It must have been church this morning, and so we had a great conversation, and then we moved from the, the skeleton over to the paint department, methodically on my part, <laughs> and uh, we, we finished the conversation. I went about looking for what I went there to get, just one thing, and I ended up in, in another discussion with another person who is from Two Rivers Church. And we had a great discussion, talked about a whole bunch of stuff, and then I was heading up to the register, I got one more conversation into a, another discussion with somebody else. And finally, left Home Depot about an hour and a half later with what I went in for for 10 minutes, right? And I got in my Jeep and I sat down and looked at myself and I went, dude, you're a slob. <laughs> I never not represent Two Rivers Church, ever. More than that, more importantly than that, I never, you never, we never not represent Jesus, ever. You never not represent Jesus. I know you English majors are going, double negatives? Yeah. You never not represent Jesus. That, because that's who he says you are. That's who we are as a people. A people have been redeemed and called into a relationship with God. We, we never not represent him. And here's the reason. Peter makes it really clear. You want purpose? You want clarity? He says, it's all here. He goes, 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That we might be a declaration to the world of what God called us to be, who he's called us to be, whether you're in a ripped up bathing suit or not. We represent Jesus. We represent Christ. The readers of Peter's words would have understood this in more of a plural understanding. They lived in a culture where the identity of me was always discovered in the community of we. They saw themselves as a people. And so when Peter wrote to them, said, you're a holy priesthood, they understood that they together were in a holy priesthood. And they themselves then, a part of that, found their identity as a, a people, as persons of, of, of being a priest. And so that's who we are. I hope that's good news for you. I hope that as it's written plurally to, to, to a group of people, that, that you're, not, you're not in this all on your own. It's not just up to you or you or you to represent Jesus, but it's up to us. And what Peter's saying, it's up to the church. It's up to all of us who call on the name of Jesus, who've, who've given our hearts and lives to Jesus. And collectively now, we're in the household of faith. We're a part of a royal priesthood. It has everything to do, this has everything to do with how you and I live individually, though. It really does. We live to represent Jesus to the world. We live to represent Jesus to the world. And I hope, you, I hope you've heard this before. I hope you'll hear it today, and I hope you'll hear it a thousand more times in the weeks to come. And I'm not, I'm not gonna even apologize for being redundant, because here's what we're about at Two Rivers Church. We're about people coming to know Jesus. We've, we've discovered who Christ is, and, and we want the world to know and discover Jesus as well. And we're going after it as best we know how to do all over the globe, and we'll talk about that on another day. But, but here in our community, here in the greater Knoxville area, we know that God's called us to have an impact on the greater Knoxville area. We know that there's all kinds of organizations and neighborhoods and community, community groups all around the Knoxville area that don't know Jesus, and we have an opportunity to step in and be a part of being representatives of Christ, of who he is and who he longs to be to the world by stepping into our community in intentional ways. And there's lots of ways that people all across our campuses are doing this, as families, as growth groups, as individuals. Y'all are doing this, which is beautiful. But there's some on-ramps that we've offered throughout the years, and we're gonna continue to offer these and hopefully create more opportunities that we can do together, we can do corporately. On October 21st, we're having what we call Serve Saturday. It's Serve Saturday. We're, we're having three or four of these in a year where we as Two Rivers Church will collectively come together. Hundreds of us will scatter throughout all kinds of, of, of uh, the region and in different communities and, and represent Christ. And if you've not signed up for that, I encourage you to go to a website, sign up for it, be a part of that. Here's another thing we're about. And I think this is really exciting. We've seen God do some amazing, miraculous stuff by three by five cards. You think, what's a three by five card? If you're relatively new, welcome. We're glad you're here. Join the rest of us. I think there's like some 70 or 80 people that are actually going through waiting right now. Good on you. So glad to be a part of this. If you've never heard this before, we've been talking about three by five cards for two or three years. What's a three by five card? It's a three by five card. <laughs> Nothing unique. You probably have one in your drawer in the kitchen at home, right? Grab that three by five card. Here's what we've just simply asked God to do. Jesus, would you reveal to me three to five names of people who don't know you yet? And, and then would you help me and remind me on a consistent basis to be praying for those people that they might experience the presence and power of Jesus as a result of me praying for them? Because we know when we pray, God hears us, responds, and does miraculous work. My math's not great, but I can add this up. 
Somewhere between 6,000 and 10,000 people are being prayed for consistently all throughout our region, our, our neighborhoods, our families, but all over the world, all, all throughout the country and in different, different parts of the world because you guys, we have been faithful to be praying about that. So if you're not doing that with us, join in. What do you need? A three-by-five card and a heart to pray. That God would use you in a profound and powerful way to be a part of this movement that he's called us to. So yes, that's who we are. Another theme that emerges from our text, and this one's a little tricky. This one, this one I think freaks us out a little bit. We're a holy people. We're a holy people. He says we're in a holy nation. We're part of a holy priesthood. And the word holy, man, it, it's a word that I don't know that most of us would describe ourselves. Hey, tell me about yourself. Well, I'm a holy person. The fact that there's snickering in this room, and I assume in other rooms, that it tells you right there. Maybe you've been to a house party and you have to put on a piece of paper like, hey, name three or four things about yourself and put them in the bowl. We're all gonna guess who it is, right? Well, he's got a Jeep. He likes, he likes uh, the ocean and he's holy? What, what is that? Maybe an opportunity for you to step in and present the gospel in a way you would never have the nerve to do, right? And the fact that we're laughing says a whole lot because that's who Jesus says we are. He says, this is who you are. You are a holy people. You're a holy people. Again, get the order straight. Last time I'm gonna hit this, I think. Get the order straight. I've rescued you. I've saved you. I've sent my son to die for you. I've given you life, life eternal. Life, life with the forgiveness of sins, all the freedom, grace, and mercy you could possibly imagine. I've made you holy by the blood of Christ. Therefore, be holy. Folks, we're a holy people. In Hebrews chapter 13, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Outside the gate, outside the city of Jerusalem, Jesus, Jesus paid the price that, that, that only he could pay. To what? Take a dirty, rotten, scoundrel group of people and make them holy. Remember the series we did in, in Ephesians? Paul kept writing to us as a, a holy people. He called us saints. And that was a snickering time too, that, that we're saints, that we're a holy people, not because of anything you've done. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. Not because of anything you've done, but because of, of what Christ has done for you. If I could look every one of you in the eye right now, I want you to hear this, not based on my opinion, on the word of God. You, you are a holy people. God's made you holy. He, he's, he's done something in you because of the blood of Christ that's purified you. And you might be saying, well, how does that how does that figure with the life I'm leading right now? I'm tripping over myself. Let me just say this. He's made you holy, he's making you holy, and one day you'll experience that in full force when you see Jesus face to face. And that doesn't make you a hypocrite. And yet I think we have an aversion to holiness because a lot of us have come out of that whole legalistic movement, right? A lot of you are my age or around that age and, and we got caught up in the 70s and 80s of, of, of looking for this life of holiness, and that if I do this, 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 and this, that's gonna make me holy. Again, the order's out of whack. He says, I've made you holy, therefore live in it. Therefore live like a holy people. It's, it's something I've already, I, I've done this in you. I, I've created this in you. Holiness is a status that's given, not something we can achieve. It's a status that was given to you. Every follower of Christ, folks, you've been made holy. You've been made right with him. Which is why, we need to deconstruct that old crud, almost cussed. 
We need to deconstruct that old stuff. We need to deconstruct that, that, those old ways of thinking, not just the, the evil that has a hold of us, but some of the ways we think about holiness and who God is and who he says we are. We need to deconstruct that and reconstruct it in a way that has everything to do with what Moses points to, what Peter's pointing to, what God spoke to both these men and all throughout the scriptures saying, no, I've done this for you. I've done this in you. This is something that's happened in you. Now live according to it. And so when we go after holiness, it's not to earn anything, but it's in response to all that Jesus has done. It's in gratitude. Don't you want your kids to, to know the joy and the love that you have for them and then respond in obedience? That's all he's saying here. But Peter gets real specific. He says, he says put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander like newborn infants. Long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you've tested that the Lord is good, even if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. I know this to be true. I know most of you by sight. And I know this to be true. You've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Haven't we? Because you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, because he's carried you on eagle's wings, because he's made you a holy nation, a people unto himself. He's saying, I'm calling you to live like it. So abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. And you know, all of us are in a battle for that every day. There's something always nipping at our heels, calling us back to a space, or even in the new places of, of sin and difficulty that we don't want any part of. There's that war raging amongst us in our soul. He says, turn away from that. Keep your conduct honorable. Pursue God. And in response to all you've experienced, you know the goodness of God. So, so long for pure spiritual milk. Long for it, pursue it, long for the things that are gonna serve and feed your soul. He says, you are a priest. You're a priest. Do you believe that? I don't see you responding. <laughs> I'm gonna freak you out a little bit here. Let me get this thing straight here. This gives some of you flashbacks, getting a little nervous. You're a priest. I hope this image haunts you this week. <laughs> I hope you see yourself in a robe all this week. You, you can never not represent Jesus. We're, we represent him, we're, we're priests. We've been made right before him, not because of anything we've done, but because of what he's done. We've, we've been made holy. This is who we are. We're now a part of the household of faith. We represent God. There's nowhere I'll go this week. There's nowhere you'll go this week and not represent God. And how we see ourselves in that relationship, clarity of relationship, is how we act in a relationship. How you see yourself is how you're gonna act. And what the scriptures are calling us to, what the Holy Spirit is calling us to, is to be a people who see ourselves rightly before God. Every relationship we have requires clarity of purpose. And the same is true in our faith with, in relationship with Jesus. This is the life of following Jesus, pursuing what it looks like to represent him to the world. I love when Moses came off the mountain and he said to the people, hey, this is what God's calling us to. He's defined the relationship. Here was their response. They said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. They heard they heard the definition of the relationship. I've called you to be a, a people. I've called you to be faithful to the covenant, that you'd be a blessed people, that you and through you, you would be a blessing to the world, that all the world one day would come to know me through the way in which you live your lives. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. I'm gonna ask you, 
We're going to say it once. We're going to say it boldly. If this is your heart's desire, would you, would you affirm the call that God has in your life, the identity he has on you, and to live according to the, according to the covenant as, as far as it depends on you and the Holy Spirit? May this be your response. All I think Bearden was stronger than this room. <laughs> All together. All is spoken, we will do. I hope that's true. I hope that's your heart's desire. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So how are we gonna do that? How are we gonna step into that? We're gonna actually take some steps this week. And unapologetically, again, we're gonna, we're gonna actually step into living it out. Not just living it out from the bulletin. Yeah, there's a great discipleship tool in our bulletin that we'd be able to live this thing out together, that we would actually pursue the purity, the pure milk of the word that God would speak to us. We've got two grandbabies now, and I've been able to feed them some bottles. They go after that like there's never gonna be another bottle. I mean, they're like sucking the heck out of that bottle, right? He says, be like newborn infants, desiring, craving pure spiritual milk, that God would see us and know us as a people who are going after it that we're living it out together, not just in what we do personally in our homes, but together as we, as we walk and follow Jesus. And this, this week, we're gonna ask you to ask yourselves this question. Jesus, where are you calling me to be a part of the we? Where are you calling me to, to join the household of faith? Where, where can I join with other priests to represent you? There's some great on-ramps we have. I hope you'll think about those things. I hope you'll ponder those things and step even further into who we know God's called us to be. And yet I do know this. We can't be who you're not. We can't be who you're not. We, we, we can't be the priest that God's called us to be if you're not being the priest God's called you to be. And as we should often do throughout a week, perhaps even every day, we should be a people who are daily repenting, daily confessing, daily rejoicing, and walking in the grace that God's given us. And so where in your life, let's pause now. I'm asking you to bow your heads. God, where, where in our lives right now are you calling us to live honorably? God, where are you calling us to Get rid of that stuff that really has no business in being part of a, a person who says that we want to follow you. God, where are you speaking to us? As the psalmist writes, search me and try me. Know if there's any offensive way in me. Is there anything in my world, in my life, that I've allowed in that has nothing to do with representing you, has everything to do with me being tied to things of this world that, that I want to let go of, I want to put a punctuation mark on permanently and finally? God, would you speak to us right now? If this is new to you, just listening and hearing God's voice, is, it's actually what Moses said, if you listen and obey. We, we wanna be a people, God, who listen and obey. If this is new to you, that, that thing that came to your mind and to your heart that you've probably known for a while, that you need to get rid of that. That's not you speaking to you, that's God speaking to you. That's the very spirit of God who resides within you saying to you, yeah, I, I affirm, that, that's something you need to walk away with, walk away from. And I know you can't do it on your own. Holy Spirit, we thank you that, that you empower us to do the work that we can't do for ourselves. Holy Spirit, we thank you that the scriptures call you the great counselor. <laughs> thank you for the counsel. Thank you for the way in which you're speaking to us and continue to speak to us. God, would you give us not just the courage, 
but the power to move away from those things, to, to let those things go so that we might be the representation that you want us to be to the world that desperately needs to see you. In the, in the relationships that are closest to us, the people that really know our stuff, who see us every day, to the relationships across the street, neighborhood, school, church even. God, would, would, you, would you in a new and profound way rise us up to be the very people that you've called us to be? You've declared who we are. Oh God, may we be a people every day that says we've heard you and we respond. And God helping us, we're gonna follow in obedience. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. If that's your prayer, would you say amen? Amen. Hey, no better way for us to end a service than to stand and proclaim the majesty and the greatness of Christ himself. Let's stand and worship together.